associated with the name of Jesus. They cannot. They try. They try and they try through our history. They try, but they cannot. The only one who holds authority is Jesus. Can we declare that tonight? It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. So we speak to brokenness. You hold no authority. We speak to violence, you hold no authority. We speak to wars, we speak to rumors of wars, you have no authority. We speak to the lie of the enemy, you have no authority tonight. Come on church, lift your voice, speak tonight. We speak to fear, we speak to anxiety. You hold no authority tonight in the house of God. It is only the name of Jesus. It's only Jesus. Oh, let's go to that pre-course. Your name is the high.
we come in week in, week out, or watch online. And every week, whether we're in the room or watching at home, we are singing songs about a kingdom and a king. And every week, we have the opportunity to either believe God or not. And the thing I love about giving is that it makes our belief physical. The word says that faith without works is dead. It doesn't mean you have to, you know, jockey up and prove your faith. It just means when you believe, you move with it. So when it comes to this moment of giving, we get to participate in a kingdom that isn't like the kingdom of this earth. We get to respond to a God who we are saying is the name above all names, who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And as we come to this offering moment, it's an opportunity for us to say, you know what? There are so many reasons why I should keep my dollars to myself. There are so many reasons why I should keep my worship to myself. There are so many reasons why I should keep my praise to myself. And there are reasons that would make it seem that way if you're only thinking from an earthly or fleshly perspective. But you're here, you're watching online. That means that there's at least a 1% chance that you believe in something other than what you can see and touch with your own eyes and with your own hands. So what I want us to do as we're in this offering moment is to give to a kingdom that has no end and to give to a king that has no end. So some of you are able to do that financially. Today, miracle of miracles, I was looking through my wallet and I have cash in my wallet. I never have cash. I am a, you know, online on your phone person, right? But I am going to do something different because I believe what I'm saying. I believe that God is a king. I believe that I am in a kingdom that is not only of this earth. So I'm going to walk to the back and put this cash in the back. Some of you can also do that. Some of you can pull out your phone and give again if you want. Some of you don't have money to give, but you can give an extra praise, an extra thanksgiving. But as we do that, whatever our means of giving is, we can set our attention to a king and a kingdom that has no end. So let's pray. God, thank you that you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that you are the name above every name. And God, you are worthy. You are worthy of us taking a risk on you. You are worthy of us taking a chance on you. And God, I pray for my friends who are going to give whatever means that they're going to give. God, I pray that they, as they participate in your kingdom, that they would have a king's response to their giving. That as they participate and believe in a kingdom that's above this one, that they would receive a king's reward. And God, I'm thankful for my friends. I'm thankful for my faith. And Lord, I am thankful for who you are. So God, as we give as a family, as your people, God, I thank you that your presence is here and you are responding to us as we respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's continue to worship the King of Kings as we give.
church, we're singing, breathe on us, Holy Spirit, breathe on us, Holy Spirit, breathe on us. And I want to give you a good report. In the last seven months here at New Life Church, since April, we have baptized 617 people. 617 people in the last seven months. Don't look now, but our prayers are being answered. And last week we baptized 26 people in here and what an amazing night. And so we give God praise. I just want you to know, don't look now, but you're living in the middle of a miracle. Can you say amen, church? Hey, if you're new with us, welcome. We are glad to have you. God is adding to his church and we've got new families signing in and new folks showing up. And so thank you for coming. If that's you, swing by Guest Central after the service. We'd love to get to know you, but now take two minutes, cross the aisle, hug a neck, shake a hand, be kind to each other, and then I'll come open the Bible. One, two, three, be nice. Grab your seats. Thrilled to see all of your faces here tonight. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Kings 17. I don't know if you know what that is. It's a book <laughs> with words in it and 66 books. And anyway, uh, some red letters. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen. But if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. 
We're in, I think, week 10 or 11 of our series going through 1 Kings, and it's been a delight to get to know sort of the topography of this book, the theological implications, and pay attention to the history of the people of God and what God taught them through those years. Uh, Before we get started, though, uh, we've got our high school retreat this weekend, and so before uh, before I preach, I'm going to pray, and as we pray, I want us to pray over our high schoolers. Such a critical moment in time. And so my prayer is that this weekend, all of them are wrecked in all the right ways for the rest of their lives, and they'll never recover from it. Amen? So we'll pray as we get started. But uh, as I think about the high schoolers, I'm thinking about my own high schooler, Lillian. She's a junior, and she is on her first college visit ever. She's back in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I went to college at Oral Roberts University. And and she's out there um, with Lisa. And I'm just praying tonight, Jesus be a full ride scholarship. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Um, uh, Yes, here we go. First Kings 17. What I'm going to do is read the first 16 verses. So this is like a narrative a beautiful story. So I want you to just like imagine that you're a little kid at the library and that librarian with the just buttery golden voice is reading you out of the storybook. Okay, so get swept up into the story tonight and then we'll pray that the Lord will speak. So hear ye the word of the Lord out of First Kings 17. It says, now Elijah, Elijah, here he is, first mention. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, the king of Israel, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. It's a big flex. (laughs) Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here and turn eastward and hide in the Kiriath ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, And I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. God says the birds are going to take care of you. There's going to be a little spring. There's a famine in the land, but I'll take care of you. So he did what the Lord had told him, and he went to Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. Now, context, this is Gentile country. You're leaving the Holy Land and you're going where all those bad people are. The unbelievers, the infidels, the the ones who are living in darkness. He says, leave the Holy Land and go out there to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. And I have directed a widow. Everyone say a widow. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, sure enough, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, oh, one more thing, and and bring me please a piece of bread. She says, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it 
and die. This is their last supper. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but, but first, before you go eat it and die, uh, make me a small loaf of bread for me uh, from what you have and bring it to me. I, I wasn't joking, is what he was saying. Uh, and then something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to you, ma'am. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. And she went away and she did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Let's pray. First, Lord, go get those teenagers tonight. Hound of heaven, chase them down. They are yours. As much as they are ours, they are more yours. And we want them to be yours all the days of their lives. So we pray this weekend, claim them for your kingdom forever. Not, don't let one of them be lost. Don't let one of them leave the way of everlasting life. Don't let one of them be picked off by the enemy. We rebuke the devil over their lives and we speak the blessing of God over these teenagers that they would rise up, that they would lead our nation, that they would lead our businesses, that they would strengthen families, that they would rebuke the devil and cast him out everywhere they go all the days of their lives. We speak blessing over our kids. Get them real good this weekend, Lord. And tonight, would you, would you get us? Would you take care of us? Would you speak to us? God, right now I'm feeling really frail. I'm feeling really inept. I'm feeling, I'm feeling like I need you. I think that's a pretty decent place to be. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. If this is the Daniel Grothy show, we're all in trouble. It's not. It's yours. It's your word. It's your church. It's your world. It's, it's your job to perform your word. And you said, my word will not return void, but it will accomplish everything I sent it to accomplish. As the rain and the water and the snow fall down from the heavens and water the earth, so will my word water so that you can have seed for the sower and bread for those who eat. So Lord, we just trust you one more time tonight that as your word goes out, you're gonna get your, your way here among us tonight. We pray, let your kingdom come. And let your will be done tonight. On the earth as it is in heaven and all God's people said, amen. If you've been tracking with First Kings, this text carries some literary whiplash to it. It's a forceful interruption in the narrative. Elijah. Like Elijah, like Elijah, the legend, Elijah, the great prophet of the Old Testament. Yeah, he just shows up out of nowhere, out of the wilderness. No context. Elijah shows up. And so far we've been toggling back and forth between this king and that king and this king and that king and Israel and Judah and Israel in the south, and Judah in the, and we've, we've just, uh, Judah in the south, and Israel in the north, and you, this king and that, and, and we've seen 
David and Bathsheba in the royal court at the beginning. David is the old man getting ready to die. And, and we've seen Adonijah and Solomon. Adonijah, the brother of Solomon, trying to usurp his brother and take the kingdom and throw a coup d'etat. And, and we've seen Bathsheba go to bat for her son. And we've seen Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And we've seen Ahab. And we've seen Jezebel. But tonight, Elijah. The man of God shows up and the question is, after all these years, is there a man of God in the land? <laughs> Sound familiar? <laughs> is, there, is, there, is there a woman of God in the land? Is there someone who has not bowed the knee to Baal? Is there someone who's clean? Is there someone who's pure? Is there someone who's holy? Is there someone who can be trusted? Is there someone who doesn't need to use the people of God for their own good? Is there someone who will be willing to lay down his life or lay down her life for these people and even if it kills them? And here we have Elijah. What we see is that Israel's royal courts is in ruins and Solomon has been the main character so far, but we see that he's built the temple of God, the, the temple of the Lord. He's built it on slave labor. How the mighty have fallen. We've seen that with 700 wives and 300 concubines and perversity at the high places out on the mountaintops, Solomon has institutionalized sexual immorality in the land. We've seen that Solomon, through these political marriages, he's aligned himself with the pagan powers and with the godless nations, and he's trying to marry the right women so that their dads won't come and attack him, and Solomon has fallen the the wisest man on the earth by the end of his story in chapter 11 is worse than pharaoh we've seen that the nation is in ruins but right here in this text we get this whiplash we get this forceful interruption we get this jolt within the narrative from from the wilderness elijah comes out of nowhere and his arrival is unannounced and it's unexplained and his work is uncredentialed and unreviewed by the intelligentsia and the sophisticated highbrow leaders and the press of his day who's this rugged pre-john the baptist john the baptist out in the wilderness living off of the water in the brook and ravens bringing him food and this guy doesn't need anything. He leaves the royal court. Why? Because you see often within the Bible, the royal court is the place where there's a a bankruptcy and out in the wilderness, there's a surplus. Out in the wilderness, there's someone who's got contact with God, someone who has not bowed the knee to Baal and is faithful and covenant to Yahweh. Elijah shows up and Elijah's life pulses with the pathos of God. And the name Elijah itself means Yahweh is my God. (laughs) Give me all of that. Yahweh is my God. Elijah shows up and he starts prophesying. He starts speaking to them. It begins in chapter 17, the beginning of this great prophetic battle. And next week we'll look at the most epic prophetic battle in his career. Chapter 18, the 450 priests of Baal and calling down fire from, get ready for next week. But here we are in chapter 17. It's the beginning of the prophetic battle. Now Elijah the Tishbite. From Tishbe and Gilead said to King Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my 
Where uh, Elijah obviously read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, very sophisticated, you know, team builder and build rapport and connect, 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 and then ask. No. <laughs> Elijah just goes for the jugular. He's, he declares a drought will last for three years. Now, why a drought? Because in the ancient world, a drought was understood to be divine judgment for perverse, idolatrous alliances. Think about this. The creation was meant to give praise to God. Into the heavens, the psalmist said, oh, your love is greater, higher than the heavens and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, in the heavens and let your glory be over all the earth. Give victory with your right hand and save us so that those whom you love may be rescued. Heavens, the heavens declare the glory of God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Creation was meant to have direct access to the God of the heavens and the earth. And what happens is after year, year after year after year of... Perverse, idolatrous alliances, the heavens close. You see this? The rain that was supposed to come and water the earth. This is how they thought in the ancient world. That we would worship God and God would bless us and there would be that back and forth symbiotic communion with with the God of the heavens and the earth. And finally, after all these years, Elijah goes, you have not been worshiping your God, so the rain stops. God, God doesn't want to play with us. He wants to take care of us. He wants to be our father. But at the, at the point at which we say, we don't want you, let our will be done and let your will go away, there's a break. And Elijah says, the rain, the, the rain is done. There will, there will be neither rain nor dew until my word, like the shutdown. Elijah arose as a prophetic provocation to King Ahab and Jezebel. And just like we expect our leaders to manage the economy, the kings of old were supposed to guarantee rain for the people, right? They were supposed to be the ones who bring prosperity. They were supposed to be the ones who connected with the right deities. And you know who the right deity was to guarantee rain? Baal. Because Baal is the God of fertility. Baal is the God that causes rain to come. And when rain comes, the crops flourish. And when the crops flourish, the cattle and the goats and the sheep, they all eat and get fat. And when they eat and get fat, humans eat them and get fat. Do you see the cycle of life here? We need rain, we need rain, we need rain. So what we do is we build these altars to Baal because we've got to have Baal on our side. And so we bow the knee to Baal. And oh, by the way, we would consummate our connection with Baal by sexual perversity at the high places. And and we think that rain is gonna come. And Elijah goes, no more. God is not playing with you. Yahweh is not to be trifled with. You see the connection here and then God tells Elijah to become his own illustrated sermon. And he says, leave town, leave the comfort of the royal palace, leave the pantry that's full, leave the grocery stores, leave the paved streets, leave the the comfort of of the life that you know in the big city and go out to the wilderness. And we see in verse two, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here and turn eastward and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan and you will drink from the brook 
and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him, and he went to the ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. And then the ravens, you, you know the story, the ravens brought it in in the morning, and they brought it in at night. And Elijah becomes a provocation to the royal court that says, you think you can guarantee rain by walking away from Yahweh, and I'm gonna walk away from the, the cush, comfy city, and I'm gonna go tuck myself away in the wilderness where there is nothing. And, and when you come covenant with Yahweh, even where there's nothing, there will be something. You think by working a deal with the heavenlies, you're going to secure your own future. I'm going to go tuck myself away in a ravine in a, in a land of drought. And there was plenty and there was food and there was blessing. And frankly, there was a lot more peace out there than in the frantic royal court. Uh, give me the ravine with God's peace and with God's daily bread over the anxiety of the royal court any day. God says, my economy is different than your economy. <laughs> God says, my way doesn't add up in your neat little spreadsheets. God says, your accountant is going to scratch his head, but at the end of the year, you're going to come out in the black. If you connect with me, if you covenant with me, if you worship me, walk away from Baal and come worship Yahweh and talk to me at the end of the year if it didn't work out for you. Walk away from the royal reserves. Walk away from the man-made life support systems. Walk away to the outside of the administered life and with nothing to fall back on. Put yourself at risk in the mercy of God. Live vulnerably and let God show you what provision looks like. But after the, a time, Elijah has to move on. And God had created a moment because God wasn't done speaking to Elijah. So he says, Elijah... Verse seven, sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah again, go at once to Zarephath. Immediately he would have been like, excuse me? Zarephath? Go at once, oh, okay, to the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow. Like, do you hear all of the bells going off for Elijah? Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Sidon, and there's a widow there that's going to take care of you to supply you with food. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. It, now, let me just say this. I read this story, and it kind of feels disrespectful of God to ask a widow to take care of a man of God. Let's get the, let's get the tender-hearted CEOs of Zarephath to come together and to pool their resources. They can take a little bit. Each, each one of them, if they took 5% of their annual budget and kind of pooled it together, none of them would really miss it. But now you're gonna ask a widow, the most vulnerable woman in the whole land, in the ancient patriarchal society in which she lived, she was like doubly cursed because she couldn't work for herself and she didn't have a man who could work for her and her word wasn't even taken in court. She was like fringe, fringe, fringe of the society. And God says, I'm going to raise her up to be the hero of the story. So at one point it looks like it's disrespectful, but then you just stick with it and you go, oh, God is restoring dignity to a woman that has had her dignity taken away. Yeah, let's get her, let's get her released into the work of the kingdom. There's a widow and so he walks into town I just want to say that God is good enough to give all of us our dignity back. God is good enough to make it possible for every single one of us to contribute to his work. 
I've met with friends around here who they just look at me and they think, what do I have to give? And this story right here perks you right up. What do you have to give? You, you have strength to give. You have faith to give. You have courage to give. You have history with God to give. Like, don't look now, but God is gonna make it so that every single one of us have a significant contribution to the furthering of his kingdom of God. And now he sends the most powerful man in Israel to the weakest woman out among the Gentiles. And she becomes the one that pays his bills. Don't look now, but God has work for all of us to do. I remember last year as we were doing our legacy offering and there was a single mom here in the congregation and she's a server. And being a server at this restaurant allows her to be able to drop her kids off in the morning and then pick her kids up from school. And during those hours from 8.30 to 2.30, she goes hard. And she works and she's, and she's making it happen and she loves her three kids. And she comes down when the room moves through. Maybe you were there that night and everyone was bringing their offerings down to the front. And she came and she put her offering in and then she came over to me with this little envelope. And she said, I put my offering in, but, but I, I, wanted to, I wanted to tell you about this. She said, when I heard about the legacy offering, I decided that I would sign up for extra shifts. And all of my extra shifts, I would take that cash and I'd put it in an envelope. And I would bring that over and above to put into the legacy offering. She said, I put my tithe in. Yeah, that's my tithe. This is my offering. Every single one of us has a contribution in the kingdom of God. There is no one that is disqualified. There is no one, there is no caste system in the kingdom of God. And Jesus watches story after story and he watches one day at church, Jesus is there and he's standing by the offering buckets I'm not making this up. Jesus is at church and they're doing, I don't know what song they were singing. Maybe they're singing the blessing and they were coming through and Jesus was right here and everyone was coming through and there were these wealthy people who came and they put in large sums of money. Praise God for that. They were contributing to the work. But then this one widow, she, she came down. I can imagine her hobbling through on the dusty floors of this church and she comes down and she puts in two pennies. And Jesus goes, hey, did you see all of that? Did you see everyone come to the line? That one right there, she gave more than everyone. Because they gave out of their abundance, but she, she gave everything she had. Don't tell me there's a caste system in the kingdom of God. Every single one of us has something to contribute to the work of God. And we see it right here in 1 Kings 17. And I'll just say, we are so quick to disqualify others. Oh, he can't do much. Or, oh, she's just to fill in the blank. Or, he's just to fill in the blank. I'll just say, no one is just anything. All of us are created in the image of God, period. <laughs> period. The playing field in the kingdom of God is level, all of us are rich with gifts. All of us have special graces. All of us have gifts and anointings. And this textual irony here is, think about this. The Israelite king Ahab is worshiping Baal, a foreign fertility deity, while the pagan widow learns to worship Yahweh. The Israelite king is missing it. The foreign woman who is a pagan is the one who is found faithful. Everyone has something to contribute to. By calling the most vulnerable woman in the land to provide for the most powerful man of God, God is making a statement once and for all that we all have a significant contribution to make in the kingdom of God. 
I wanna say to you now though that this text, in this text we see yet another instance of the established pattern of generosity into which God has called his people. Established pattern of generosity. Established pattern of generosity. In this text we see again yet another example of the established pattern of generosity into which God has called his people. Let me pick up the story here in verse 10. So he went to Zarephath and when he came, a widow was there gathering sticks. You, you saw this. He says, hey, bring me some water. Oh, uh, by the way, bring me some bread. And in verse uh, 12 it is, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour. And then skipping down to verse 13, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. First of all, it's just worth receiving that word tonight. We get so worked up about Money, I get so worked up. What's the economy doing? What are the rates doing? What's the, what's the Dow look like? What's going, you know, are, is confidence gonna be, are people gonna withhold? What's going, you know. Do not be afraid, he says. That's the first word from God to this woman. Do not be afraid. And it's the first word from God to all of us when we want to get wound up in our own financial story. Peace to you in Jesus' name. Don't be afraid. But he goes on to say, go home and do as you've said. Everyone say, but first. But first, verse 13, could you put that back up on the screen? Is that there? But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then. Everyone say, and then. But first, and then. But first, and then. But first, and then. And I'll just say that the historic tithe, the concept of the tithe is rooted in this statement but first, and then. The tithe, frankly, just doesn't make a lot of sense to us today, right? Start with a first fruits offering. Let me get to the end of the year and see what I have left over, and then I'll kind of pray about what I wanna, no. God says to his people, hey, I'm going to be your provider, and when I provide for you, but first, give me your first fruits gifts, and then see if I won't make it go farther. And, and just think about the Sabbath command, right? The Sabbath command is God saying to the people, give me one seventh of your time and be completely unfruitful and see if you can't do more in six days with me than you could do on your own in seven. Do you see the, the, the but first give me your time, the Sabbath, rest, and then watch me make it go far. One seventh of our time, one tenth of our money, tithe. I'm gonna bless you, take that tithe, give it to me first, and then watch what I do with it. We see the tithe become this established pattern of generosity. So I wanna say a few things about tithe. Some of you are seizing up right now. <gasps> Don't make eye contact. I've been in one of these before. I come from Tulsa, I'm not gonna hurt you, okay? I promise, I've been pistol whipped by the tithe, the, the, the teacher, I won't do that. I, if you've been around here long enough, you know what you're working with here. If you haven't, hang around long enough, we will never manipulate into giving money. It doesn't work. God loves a cheerful giver, amen. Three things I wanna say about tithing. Three things, God is not worshiped in abstraction of our thoughts, but in the specificity of our sacrifice. God is not worshiped in the abstraction of our thoughts. Oh, I love God in my mind. I love him in my mind. Oh, he's, in my mind he is so good. That would be like me saying to Lisa, 
Lisa, I love you in my thought life. Lisa, I'm imagining myself helping you with the dishes right now. I just, my mind is going. Praise be to God. It's beautiful in my mind. It's beautiful. While I sit on the couch, you look great. But it's, it's a wonderful vision right here in my mind. Lisa, I love the thought of helping you with the laundry. And uh, Lisa, my heart races at the idea of helping tuck our kids into bed. But I'll be down here, okay? Let me know how it goes. Lisa, I've thought about helping you get that fit, fitted sheet on the bed, but I'm just gonna sit over here and watch you struggle. I love you in my thought life. My mind is just filled with the glorious good news of our marriage. I'm just going to stay right up here in the abstraction of my thoughts, and that's going to be the communication of my love for you. And Lisa said, the heck you're gonna do that. Get your butt over here and help me make this bed. And you go be a dad, okay? Do you see the foolishness of just trying to stay right here in the abstraction of our thoughts and call that worshiping God? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all, get to work, with all of your strength. You know, one of the ways we demonstrate strength, one of the ways we have strength to give to the world is through our resources. I can love you right here, but if I don't have anything to help you with, I'm not much help when you need it. But when God blesses us, we take the first fruits of those gifts and we give them back to God within the context of the local church. And then it becomes a storehouse, Malachi 3. It becomes a storehouse so that we can take care of congregants who in any given week are on the brink. And just trust me, I've been here almost 20 years. You watch the cyclicality of the life of the people of God and you'll be strong and you'll be strong and you'll be strong and then the bottom falls out and you need the strength of the body of Christ. And then you'll be strong and you'll be strong and you'll be strong and other people who are weak are receiving your strength and then your, your, your bottom will fall out and then you'll receive the collective strength of the body of Christ. You don't want to live this life alone and if you're tucked away within the people of God, you have strength that you have access to that you will never have by yourself. So I'm here to say to you at first, love the Lord your God with your strength too. Faith without works is dead. Is what Jordan said, loving is always moving toward the actual, the concrete. Tithing is one of the ways that we sacrifice and, and, and give concrete gifts to our brothers and sisters. And so tithe to your local congregation and give over and above offerings where the Lord leads you. And I promise you, if you will trust the Lord with your resources, but first and then. This widow lives this tithing lifestyle. She takes the risk of living by faith and then we see God provide for her. The second thing I wanna say about tithing is if tithing is new to you, just find a way to get started. Just get started. The average American, stats, okay? The average American gives away just less than 2% of their resources every year to someone outside of their own story. Less than 2%. So maybe start with three. Maybe start with five. Some of you are like, I gotta get my budget. That's fine. Work your way into it, but set a goal that I'm going to live this kind of life where I give the first fruits of what God entrusts to me and then he's gonna make it go farther. I'm not here to shame anyone. I'm not here to work anybody over. I'm not here to wag the finger. If, you're, if you are where you are, start where you are and make it a goal to move toward 
more and more generosity as the years go by. Start wherever you are. It's like exercise. You just have to go to the gym. You may be out of shape. Go to the gym. Don't wait till you're in shape to go to the gym. (laughs) Don't wait till you can tithe to start giving. Like just start giving and watch God move you in the direction of a life of generosity. The third thing I want to say is that the further you go in the life of faith, the more you'll look back to discover tithing to be training wheels that are meant to get you started on the road to generosity. Training wheels. Okay, this is, okay, I'm safe. I'm not going to fall. Okay, that's great. The older you get, the more you live with God. And frankly, as you move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you see that tithing was just the beginning. Go read Acts chapter four and tell me which one you want. Some of them sold their properties and they brought the proceeds and they laid them at the feet of the apostles and they distributed to all in the church as they had need. Friends, like just tithing is the beginning of a life of generosity. And as you get older, Rick Warren, I love his story. I've gotten to spend time with Rick Warren and wrote The Purpose Driven Life. And he and his wife, Kay, I think they've been married something like 48 or 49 years. The year they got married, they said, we want to tithe 10%. And then year two, we want to give 11%. And year three, we want to give 12%. And year four, we want to give 13%. And they just moved up incrementally and they budgeted differently and it was tight, it was tight, it was tight. And then he wrote a bestseller. And now he's just like giving it all away. And and why? Because the older you get and the more time you spend with God, you see that God's generosity will require more of you. And frankly, it gets fun to be a generous giver within the body of Christ. Friends, tithing is the beginning. I wanna go back to this widow. What happened with her as she started with her butt first? What was the then? What was the result of her life of radical generosity? She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word the Lord had spoken by Elijah. While everyone else is living in an economy of anxiety, this simple woman who has no societal power is living in the covenant blessing of God because she decided to go first with her generosity. And then somehow, some way for three years, the flour didn't run out and the oil didn't run out. And somehow she just kept, look at the generosity of God. Friends, God will take care of you. Will you trust him? I wanna get to the end of this story because this chapter is just chock full. We'll have read the entire chapter. Look at the last Seven verses of this story. First Kings seventeen seventeen says, sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. So the widow's boy gets sick and he grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and to kill my son? Like it was working, it was working, it was working until it wasn't. And she freaks out like any of us would. And Elijah said, give me your son. And he took him from her arms because sometimes when you're living, when you're around anxiety, you need to find a different room. You see this? I understand you're freaked out. 
perfectly normal. You're human. Can I have your son? And he goes to a room where he can nurture faith. And he took him from her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying. And he laid the little boy on his bed. And then he cried out to the Lord. God, don't you dare. Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? And then he stretched himself out on the boy three times. He lay, just, just, what? He stretched himself out on the boy three times. He's desperate. He's calling on God. And he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him. And he lived. And Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. And he gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Verse 24. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. This is a complex story. It's beautiful, but it also does things to us. Because I know plenty of people in this room, and I've cried out for people to be healed. Give me that kid back. Give me my friend back. Don't know, no, God, no. And then you go to a funeral. It's it's okay to be honest that this story stirs lots of things in us. Can we just say we're human here tonight? But I want to suggest to you this story is a signpost of where God is taking all of creation. I want you to lock into this story and see it for what it's meant to teach us about the future. This boy is raised up. The God of life will give us our loved ones back. I love my grandpa Dan and he died. Named after him. If you've been around, you've heard about Dan Wilson. And I'm Daniel Wilson Grothy. And my firstborn son is Wilson James Grothy. I love my grandpa Dan. I want to show you this first picture of grandpa Dan. Me and him and my sister Jessica tucked back in there flying to Philadelphia. show you this next picture. Grandpa Dan was a sod farmer. He was also a rural mail carrier, the postmaster for 44 years. He was also a school bus driver for 44 years. Three different retirements. He had three different jobs. Sod farmer in the afternoons, mail delivery guy in the morning, and bus driver before and after school. I don't know how he did this. But he did this for all of his life. Hardest working man I've ever been around. And I would, this is his sod. It was called Tough Turf Sod Farm. And my dad and I would work. And I'll show you this next little sheet. I come from a long family of agrarians, farmers, people who work the ground. Look at this. This is the, the sheet that they would have kept. Labor, feed, seed, machine hire, supplies, all of the details, all of the budget, all of, down to the penny, like they knew what they were spending and they knew what they were making and these people fell into bed tired every single night and I would go spend my summers in Idaho on tough turf sod farm with my grandpa Dan in this next picture. That's my grandpa driving the tractor. That's my dad on the back and that's me on the back with my chubby belly hanging out, my shirt off, stacking sod in the summers. And then this is me at night at grandpa's falling asleep because you work so hard, you sleep well. I don't know a farmer that doesn't sleep well. I miss my grandpa. 
And I was just out at his house because I just buried my grandma, his wife of 66 years. And grandma's done and we're getting the house ready and we're going through all the stuff. And I came across, and I wish I brought it tonight. I put it in my car and I just forgot to bring it. I found Grandpa Dan's Tough Turf Sod Farm shirt. And it says, Tough Turf Sod, Dan. And he would wear it all the time. He'd sweat and just, just came in dirt all over his face, a man of the soil. He'd come in and every day Grandma Weezy would have a ham sandwich with mayonnaise and some Lay's potato chips and a, a frozen glass. She would chill her glasses in the freezer, a frozen glass of milk every day of his life. The man was made of ham. He was a pig. The Jews would have hated him. I mean, just, he's just a desecration walking around the earth. And I took that shirt, I found his shirt, and my uncles and my auntie and my mom, they said, you, you, we want you to have it. And I took it and I got it framed in this huge shadow box and it's hanging up in my study at home and there's not a day that goes by where I don't look at that shirt and go, I love that man. And I'm glad I have the shirt, but I want him back. I want you to see in the story of Jesus. Jesus is crucified. It's bloody. Mary's at the foot of the cross going, give me my boy back. Then three days later, boom. Psych. (laughs) He's running around and they're giving him kisses and he's raising the dead and all that. I want you to see what happens after Jesus was raised because this story is a glimpse of where God is taking the world. Just like this little widow's boy is a story of where God is taking the world. Matthew 27, 51. The earth shook and the rocks split and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life And they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection. And they went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to many people. When Jesus rose, the earth started responding. And the grave started bowing its knee. And the enemy started trembling and saying, oh, he's back. The God of life is back. And he's not playing with us anymore. The God of life will finally overcome death. And we saw it with a glimpse with this widow's son. And we saw it just for a moment with the resurrection of Jesus. But you know what happened? That widow died eventually. And that boy died again eventually. And all the bodies of the many holy people who were raised after Jesus was raised, they died eventually and they had second funerals. But there is a day that is coming (laughs) 
when the eastern sky is split, Revelation 21, and then I saw the new city, the holy Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, like a bride beautifully adorned for her bridegroom. And then I saw that there was no more any sea, and then Jesus shows up on the white horse, and there will be no more sorrow, and no more mourning, and no more suffering, and no more death, for the old order of things has passed away. And friends, the end of the story is not heaven. Heaven, N.T. Wright, the great New Testament theologian, heaven is called life after death, right? We die here and we go to heaven to be with the Lord. But new resurrection, the new heavens and the new earth, bodily resurrection is life after life after death. And the end of the story is Christians raised and reigning with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. We get our bodies back. We get our stories back. We get our families back. We get our hopes back. There will be no more hospitals and no more funeral homes and no more first responders to trauma. Why? Because Jesus finally once and for all is going to put death to death. First Kings 17 is a chapter that shows us that he is not just the God that has control over the pantry. He's the God that has control over the cemetery. And he will keep the pantry full, but one day he will empty out the cemeteries. Friends, death will be no more. And this little widow's boy that gets raised up that day before he dies a second time is meant to show us that we are working with the God of life. And when Jesus was raised and the bodies of many holy people started running around Jerusalem again before their second funeral was meant to show us that we are working with the God of life. And once and for all, God is going to empty the cemeteries. All along the way, he's gonna keep your pantry full. So do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Trust God, partner with him. But first... And then watch him provide for you. But one day God is going to raise us up and we are going to get our loved ones back and there will be no more tears. Can you say amen, church? Can you stand? Stand with me, church. band is going to come and we're going to worship and receive communion like we always do but this needs to be a moment where you get your peace back tonight you get your peace back tonight God's first word to that widow is do not fear don't fear financially don't fear about your future don't fear over death I will take care of you and I'll raise you up when you need me to. Friends, can you close your eyes and quiet your hearts? And maybe some of you even need to lay your hand on your heart tonight. And you need to speak peace to your own heart. You need to receive peace in your own heart. I say over you tonight by faith, you will not live a life of fear. You will not live a life of torment. You will not live a life of anxiety. It's not your inheritance. Peace is your inheritance. Hope is your inheritance. Joy is your strength from God. So in Jesus' name tonight, I rebuke fear and I cast it out. Jesus, you're the one that said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. I bind fear. 
About that prognosis, I bind fear. About the economy, I bind fear. About the interest rates, I bind fear. About a fractured relationship, I bind fear. About a prodigal child, I bind fear. About a a faltering friendship, I bind fear. Jesus, you said after that, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So I loose the peace of God. I loose hope. I loose courage to keep going. I loose gritty faith in this room to believe God and to trust him. I lose courage to but first and then. And Lord, I speak shalom over your people tonight. Some of you, you're gonna, your body's going to feel different tonight when you go to bed. I sense some of you have backs that have been locked up because of fear. And in, in Jesus' name, you're going to receive that healing. Just let it be. Sleepless nights, you're just going to start sleeping again in Jesus' name because you're, you're free of fear. And so Holy Spirit, we say do miracles in this room tonight. Get your people back to peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite our communion servers to come forward. We're going to sing one of my favorite songs. It's an anthem and you'll, most of you will know it. And I want us to worship tonight. You're going to come through the room, respond. Come forward, get your communion elements and and go back. If you're not able to come through, tap your neighbor. They'll bring you some. It's fine. We'll all help. But let's worship the Lord right now. Let's get our strength back. Let's get our courage back. Let's trust God. And then in just a minute, I'll come and we'll receive communion together. Come worship Jesus. Is anyone home? Is anyone 
When the prophet Elijah went to town, he said to the widow, hey, can you get me some bread? I need some bread. I'm really hungry. Hey, hey, could you also get me a drink? And she goes, hey, I've got to go make my last supper and then I'm going to die. And Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he, he gave us his last supper. <laughs> but it was made up of his broken body. It was made up of his shed blood. It wasn't just calories and water. It was strength and salvation and forgiveness and healing and renewal and covenant cut in his blood. Friends, tonight, as you come to the table of the Lord, this is so much better than bread and water. This is his body and his blood. This is his commitment to us. So I want you to know tonight as you come to receive, God will not forsake you. Jesus already paid the price. He, he just couldn't walk away from you. It's done. He said it's finished. Like, I can't walk away from you. It's finished. I am yours and you are mine and my commitment will always be for you. So tonight, take this bread in your hand and look at it and see Jesus sitting across the table saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, remember, 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 remember God is for you. You may receive the bread tonight. The same night he took the cup of wine, the cup that just makes you glad, the cup that relaxes you. Do not fear. You take the cup and you go, we're going to be okay. He says, this cup is the new covenant and it's given in my blood and it's given for the remission of your sins. And I'm just going to say it to you until I die. You come to this table and everything you bring to it is going to get washed away. And what you have is forgiveness and wholeness and a future. You have a new horizon. You have God's forgiveness. Tonight, all of the old is washed and all of the new has come. So I say, drink up to the forgiveness of sins. I want us to sing all hail King Jesus right now. Come on, join me. All hail King Jesus. Can we take a few minutes here and press in before we're done? Exalt his name, the God who's defeated death, hell and the grave. Come on, worship Jesus.
Would you open your hands to receive the blessing tonight? But first, and then. Lord, make us those people with all of our lives. Living by faith, trusting you, covenanting with you, looking you face to face. Let every idolatry be broken off of us. Let every little crutch be kicked out from under. Let us serve you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And I pray, Lord, that you would open the windows of heaven. I pray that in an economy that looks like drought, that your people would have more than enough. <laughs> you will lack nothing. Scripture says those who look to the Lord are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. You will have more than enough. The young lions grow tired and weary, but those who seek the Lord will lack no good thing. I speak Psalm 34 over you tonight. So Lord, let abundance be our story. Let provision be our story. Let generosity be our story, we pray tonight. I pray, Lord, for my friends. Bless them, bless them, bless them so that they are not afraid. Do not fear. And I pray bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lord, lift your countenance upon all my people, my friends and all of their people and grant them peace tonight in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Can we give God thanks for what he's done here tonight? Couple things. We've got a prayer team that's coming to the front right now. If you need someone to agree with you about anything, we would love to pray with you. If you're new, come see us at Guest Central. Go from here in God's grace and peace. Much love.